Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson this morning is based on God's Word from the Old Testament. Our reading is from Exodus chapter 17, the first seven verses. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wanna share a parenting tactic with you that I was pretty proud of. This past Monday, uh, my friend Jonathan Shores and I were talking about fatherhood. In particular, we were talking about our children, and can you believe it? They complain. Sometimes our young children whine and complain. Particularly, Jonathan and I were talking about what we deem to be unnecessary complaining. And I want to tell you about my parenting tactic I'm pretty proud of, all right? But first, what is unnecessary complaining? Well, let me give you some specific examples from my life. One afternoon, it's a bright, sunny, beautiful Virginia day, and I announced to great applause and cheering that we're going to go on a bike ride. And then I sit down to put on my shoes for said bike ride, and as I'm tying my last shoe, one of my children come up to me, and they say, Dad, can we go on a bike ride? What I want to say is, yes, I need to put my shoes on first. What, what do you think we're doing here? But I don't. Here's another example. At no point in my life have I withheld water from my thirsting children. And yet, when my children are playing outside or playing in the house, or they're just thirsty and I can tell, 
They come up to me as though they are a castaway on some foreign island, and I am the only thing standing between them and water. Dad, I'm thirsty. What I want to do is point them to their water bottle, which is right next to me, and just go, here it is. You can have it. But I don't. Here's the parenting tactic that I was pretty proud of. When my children come up to me and they whine in a way that I deem is unnecessary, illogical, if you will, you want to know what I do? I ignore them. And before you think to yourself, Pastor, that is so unkind. You ignore your children? Listen to this. I I try to make it light. I make it fun. So if someone comes up to me and says, Dad, when are we going to go on a bike ride? I go, I'm sorry. I I can't hear you. Were you saying something? Dad, I'm thirsty. I'm sorry. I say, I'm sorry. I, I don't understand whining. It's like a language I just don't understand. I, I can't hear what you're saying to me. And here's why I do this. It pauses them. It, it makes them slow down just long enough for them to realize what they're doing. And like my five-year-old said one time, he paused and he goes, Dad, you do understand. And through laughs, he goes, You just don't want me to whine. Is that it? Yes, that's it. You got it. That's a parenting tactic that I was pretty proud of. In our sermon lesson for today, we see some complaining, cantankerous children whose complaining seems uncurable. They come at the Lord, the Lord's children. They come at him with complaining, whining, even testing. And what I want you to see in this account from God's word is what's behind that. What's what's behind whining and complaining before the Lord? I mean, it's really just a symptom to hear, to see that, to do that. What lies behind that? But more than answering the question of what lies behind that, I want you to consider this. What is your heavenly father's parenting tactic, if you will, when his children whine and complain to him? What we have in Exodus chapter 17 is one of the most famous in the history of Israel's accounts, a section of God's word that seems to show up again and again throughout scripture, and it begins this way. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. This is God's word so far. We almost don't need to continue. If you're someone who picks up Moses' second book, the book of Exodus, that he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to chronicle the accounts of his people, Israel, leaving Egypt. It's almost like you don't need to read what happens next to know what Israel's going to do. I mean, Exodus chapter 2 begins this way. It begins with Israel grumbling, complaining. And this time, maybe logically so. Maybe it was necessary. After all, Egypt was cruel to them. The Pharaoh was mean to them. They enslaved them, and they cried out to the Lord. That makes sense. But here's what doesn't. 
In Exodus chapter five, the Lord sends Moses. And this happens just after the very first time Moses goes to Israel and says, hey, God's gonna free you. And then Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And he says, no, I'm gonna make things harder for you. Here's what Israel does. They go, oh no, (laughs) oh no, we're in trouble now. And they go to Moses and they go to Aaron and they complain, they whine. They say, you've made us obnoxious before Pharaoh. And so in Exodus chapter six, God reiterates his promise. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Watch this. I'm going to free you from slavery. I am going to redeem you to be a people, my very own people. And Moses repeats this promise to Israel. They go, we're discouraged. We're not listening. Exodus chapter six, Exodus chapter 14 happens after God does the very thing that he promises for Israel. He shows his mighty hand by demonstrating the 10 plagues, by demonstrating through the Passover that he is the God who saves his people, who redeems his people, who does what he promises he's going to do, who's always faithful to his people. And so here's Israel, backs up against the wall, the sea behind them, and they see Pharaoh and his army barreling towards them. And what do they do? They say, is there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? They say, leave us alone. Leave us alone. Really? Really just leave you alone as Pharaoh's army comes at you? No. What does God do? You know. Moses stands out in the sea with his staff, and God miraculously parts the sea so that Israel can walk through. And then they walk through, and guess what? They're in the desert. And guess what happens in the desert? They don't find water. And so what they do? They grumble. They say, what are we to drink? They actually do have water, but it was a little bitter. And so they didn't want to drink it. So God tells Moses to throw a log into water and God miraculously makes it sweet and they're able to drink water from it. But then they're hungry. They say, oh, if only we died in Egypt. If only we died, you brought us out here to starve. I mean, are they even paying attention to everything the Lord has done to help them in the past? They're not. So they complain, they whine. And so what does God do? He sends manna and quail miraculously every night to show up before them and Israel has something to eat. Exodus chapter 17 happens and it's the same song, just another verse. There was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? A little later in our sermon, we're gonna unpack what these words mean, but it's good to highlight them now. That they quarreled with Moses and they tested the Lord. Massah means testing, Meribah means quarreling. And in the past, what we've seen is Israel, they just grumbled, they just complained. It, It might be what we think of when like, you know, our children complain, just belly aching, we might say. But now they've ratcheted up. They're quarreling. The Hebrew word here means something like a a court case, something that you argue, that you have a bone to pick and it's an official one and you're bringing an official case against Moses. You're gonna quarrel with him and you're gonna test the Lord. But the people were thirsty. 
for water there. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. It's logical to want water. You get that, right? And if you think about Israel and all of the flocks and the livestock that they had, that makes sense, doesn't it? But what doesn't make sense is their complaint, their quarrel. It's illogical. It's unnecessary if you think about what just happened throughout Israel's very short history at this time. God provides for them. God gives them good things. God frees them from Egypt, demonstrates his power in 10 miraculous plagues. He gives them the ability to part the sea. He destroys Pharaoh's army before them by making the sea crash over them. He gives them quail and manna, and he just gave them water. You think they could remember that he does it again, that he could do it again, but no. Their complaint is illogical. They not only think that God brought them out here to die, but also, get this, they're going to kill the only guy that's come through for them. They go, ah, we're dying of thirst. I know, let's kill the one guy who communicates to God for us. Complaining to the Lord. It is egregiously illogical. But what's new? I mean, think about that. Really, all complaints, all quarrels, all whining is. It's illogical. It's, it's unnecessary. You know. You know what your God has done for you. You know this. You know what he's given you. He's not only given you himself and heaven, but think about this. Think about our lives. Think about maybe the last month or maybe the last decade. God's been good. He's been good to you. Has he not? But what happens? Bad day. <laughs> Bad week. A bad season in life. Is the Lord with me or is he not? Sinners, Israel, you, me, oh, we're so quick to forget God's goodness. But God doesn't. God doesn't forget. Here's what the Lord said. He answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take with you the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come down out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Just as he did so many times before, the exalted Lord does what? He comes down and he comes through. He comes through and the almighty Lord uses his strength to help his people, to give his people what they need. Out of the most unlikely of places, a rock, a dried rock in the dry desert, God gives water. 
God comes down and he comes through for his people again. And then our account from Exodus 17 ends with a little bit of commentary. And he, that is Moses, called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? We defined these words earlier. Massah, it means quarreling, or rather testing, and Meribah means quarreling. Is what these words mean, and Moses named the place where water came from the rock that. And why? Well, think about it. It's, it's answering our question about what lies behind quarreling, complaining, and testing God. What lies behind your whining and complaining? It, it's just that. It's, it's a test of the Lord. And so what we really need to do is ask this question, what does it mean that the Israelites tested the Lord. What does it mean for us to test the Lord? Well, here, here's maybe a neat, concise answer to that. It's our first fill in the blank. That to test the Lord is to try and turn faith into sight. To test the Lord is to try to turn faith into sight. And here's what faith is. Here's what scripture says, that we live by faith, not by sight. It's believing, not seeing. That's 2 Corinthians 5. Hebrews 11 says, now this is faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what? About what we do not see. And yet what is testing God? Testing God is trying to turn faith into sight. It's saying to God that, well, <laughs> God, we need you to show up. We need you to show up if I'm going to believe you. And God, I know you're not going to show up like you did for Israel with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of clouds by day. But Lord, I need you to show up if I'm going to believe this. God, if you're really good, and you say you are, if I'm going to believe that, well, I need a divine demonstration. What does it mean to test God? It's to try to turn faith, faith that trusts God's promises into sight, that I need to see God come through. I want to try to coerce God to show up in a way that I want him to. That's what lies behind complaining. That's what lies behind whining. So here's the real question for us is, where is your Messiah and Meribah. For Israel, it was in the place where they needed physical water because they had physical thirst. They tested God. They said, are you here or not? Are you going to show up? We need to see you. Otherwise, we're not going to believe you. Where is your Massah and Meribah? Where are you trying to put the Lord your God to the test? You say, oh, Pastor, I, I don't test God. Let me rephrase the question. What are you whining about? What are you complaining about? Because whining and complaining are just the symptom. It's just what shows up, just what manifests itself in your life what that really is doing 
is putting the Lord your God to the test. Where is your Messiah and Meribah? Well, for some of you, it already, it already has a name. It's the names of people, your loved ones, maybe your children. You want God to help them, and you believe God if he helps your child. Maybe it's your parents. You believe God if he, if he heals them. Maybe it's a friend. You'll believe God. You'll really love God and be faithful to God if, if he shows up in their life, if, if he converts them, if he, if he comes through for them, if he shows himself to them. That's why. Where's your Messiah and Meribah? Maybe it's, well, somewhere on your body, your knee, your back, your brain talking about chronic pain or illness. God, if you just show up and heal me, then I'll know you're good. I'm not saying it's wrong to have care and concern for your loved ones or to have care and concern for your physical well-being. But to complain and to whine is to not trust a God who said he'd provide. Where's your Masan Meribah? Maybe it's on your phone. You scroll through the news or social media and you see all that's going wrong in the world. And you go, God, everything's so immoral. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Why, why won't you just show up and fix things? I'm just complaining about sin. No, you're sinning. You're putting the Lord your God to the test. Where's your Masan Meribah? Maybe you want the Lord to just part the Red Sea for you and, and bring you a specific someone, a relationship into your life or heal that relationship. Maybe it's financially. You, you could look back on all the ways the Lord has provided for you in the past, but instead you whine and complain about your present and the future. Maybe it's, it's more personal than that. It's, it's just about your personal future or your professional future. You could look and see how God has always been there for you, how he has always shown up and been with you. And you gotta go, God, I, I don't know if you're gonna be there in the future. Are you with me or not? Where is your Messiah and Meribah? One Bible commentator said this, in Israel naming this place, the place where God let water come from the rock, what they did is naming it Masan and Meribah is they put sin on the map. They put sin on the map so that people would know what happened there. And it is, it's, it's one of the most off-sighted incidences, if you will, in the history of Israel. Jesus himself cited this in Matthew chapter four. Remember, we, we talked about this in our sermon a couple of weeks back. The devil tempted Jesus. He put him up on the, on the highest mountain or on the highest peak of the temple. And he said, you know, throw, throw yourself down. We'll see. We'll see if God sends his angels. He said he would. And what does the Lord say? He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You wanna know what Jesus was doing when he said that? He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter six, which is Moses' fifth and last book, in which Moses said, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Also, Psalm 95. This is the psalmist quoting the commentary on that incident of the Lord God himself. He said, today, if only you would hear God's voice. This is what God says. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors 
tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. So where's your Masad, Meribah? I'm asking you to go there, to sit there, to see what you're really whining and complaining about is testing the Lord in. And I'm asking you to go there and to sit there, not to shame you or to blame you, but to incite a thirst in you, a thirst that only one can satisfy, a thirst that isn't quenched by whining or complaining, but by hearing, by hearing our God, by hearing our God and, and seeing what he does when we whine and complain. This is what the Lord did. The Lord answered Moses, go in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Our second question, how would you describe the parenting tactic that the Lord your God, your heavenly father, uses when his people whine and complain. The Lord listened and he understood and he showed up. I want, to, I want you to see three incredible things that your Lord does here, how his parenting tactic responds to whines and complaints. And this is the first film blank. The Lord is present. There's a lot of incredible things that happen in this biblical narrative of God doing the miraculous thing, having water come from the rock. That's pretty amazing, is it not? But the most amazing thing, even greater than that, is this. What does the Lord do? He's not disinterested. He's not distant. He doesn't ignore his kids. He comes. He says, ah. I'm going to stand there. I'm going to stand before you. God was there. God was there at Meribah and Massah. And he is for you too. He is for you in the midst of your Meribah and your Massah as well. I said this is one of the most off-sighted incidences in all of Israel's history. Well, there's one more place where it gets brought up. And I got to tell you this, sometimes the Bible, a particular passage, it might be hard for us to understand why God included this in his word, but not this incident because, because of this. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul using Israel's history as an example of spiritual lessons for us, he says this, Israel, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. You don't need to be an expert in theology to understand what God is trying to tell us through recording this incident and bringing it up again and again. He's telling us that rock, it was Christ. Often the negative is cited. Psalm 95, Jesus saying, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Here's the blessing you know that rock was Christ. I don't know 
what your Meribah and Messiah is. I don't know where that is in your life that you are quarreling, complaining, and testing God, but I do know this. Wherever it is, Christ is there. Wherever that is in your life, Christ is there. And what Christ says is this, whoever drinks the water I give them, and I am that rock, they'll never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is your God, and this is how he deals with whining and complaining. He is present, and he pours into you water, his water that makes you never thirst or look or complain or try to find anything else to satiate you again, but he gives himself. It's water welling up for eternal life. The Lord is present, and also this, Our second one, the Lord is patient. Here's something you need to remember. I recounted Israel's history for you because I wanted to show you something. It's short. (laughs) Israel has been on this exodus for about two months. It's not been like this is year 39 of 40 that they're wandering around in the desert and they don't know where they're going to find water. This is like month two. This is month two, and God literally did all of those things we listed out before, and they go, I don't know where God's going to provide for us. Parents, you know this too, that if there's one thing that can make you maybe lose your patience, if there's one thing that maybe causes you to not be compassionate or gentle, it's the unnecessary whining. It's maybe the illogical whining, if you will see how your God responds. It's in Exodus 34 that the Lord is going to give a proclamation of just who he is. But here he gives us a demonstration of the fact that he is compassionate, he is gracious, he is abounding, abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains his love even when we whine and complain. He forgives He forgives rebellion and wickedness and sin. He's slow to anger. Even when we are quick to forget all of the ways that the God of love loves us and provides us and helps us, he's slow. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love and faithfulness. This is our God who shows up again and again and again, who's patient with us for every time that we go back to Masan Meribah. You can pay, push your God, but he still shows up for us. Romans 5, we read this. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still whining, complaining, quarreling, wondering if the Lord is among us or not. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for you in order to pour into you his living water. Your Lord is present. Your Lord is patient. And your Lord is provider. That's our third fill-in-the-blank. 
This is the picture I showed during the kids' sermon this morning. It's my favorite illustration of this really powerful story because you see what happens when Moses hit the rock. A waterfall gushes out. I think most of the depictions or pictures of this story kind of have a similar theme, at least children's Bible stories did when I was growing up, is that Moses would hit the rock and people are coming by with like little cups, maybe their hands to fill out like this dripping water. This picture depicts something different. (sighs) A gush, a waterfall of God's provision. You know, people argue that, they don't know how many people were exactly in, in Israel's population at this time. Some say it was like around 30,000, the size of Fredericksburg. Other people say it was more like 2.3 million, like the size of Houston. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you don't have water for 30,000 or 2.3 million people and all of their children and all of their sheep and all of their herds and all of their livestock, you got a problem. It's going to take a miracle to provide for them. And that is what God does. God pours out to them all of his gifts and to us. And we know that gift is Christ. But what we don't know for us is how that will look. I asked you before to go and sit in your Massah and your Meribah. There was a lady who did that in our gospel lesson, John chapter four. Here's a woman who, well, she had a lot to complain, to whine about. She had multiple failed marriages. She was probably known around her area in Samaria and Sychar as someone who wasn't very reputable, didn't have a good reputation. She was even living with someone, not her husband. And so she would go at a time to the well. No one else did. Noon. So she could be by herself. And Christ came. He needed to go there. What I don't know from this story is how it impacted that woman's life specifically. I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if she, she went home and did the right thing and got married to the man that she was living with. I don't know if her reputation changed around town. I don't know if from now on she, she could go with the other women at like 6 p.m. when it was a little cooler to be around the well. I don't know that. But what we do know is what Scripture says. She got to drink from the living water that is Christ. She got to go and be with her Savior. Jesus said, I am the one that you're talking about. That Christ who will come and and make everything clear, I'm he. I don't know for you when you, when you go back and, and you sit and you're there in your Massah and your Meribah, I don't know what will happen. But what you do know is who's there with you. Therefore, you do know what he will give you. Your God gives you this declaration that you are justified, that you no longer have sin that you have peace with God. You and God are good. It doesn't matter. 
what else is going on in your life, your, your other relationships, your family. Here's what you have with your relationship with God. You have peace. And you don't have to wonder if he's going to give you any of his grace and faith in the past. He did that. No, right now, here in your presence, this is what you have. You are standing right now in faith and the grace of your God. That gives you hope. That gives you hope for your future. That gives you hope in the glory of God, that you will be with him forever in eternal life in heaven. That is what you have in Christ. But, but not only that, we also, you, you can glory in your sufferings. Where's your Masan, Meribah? No doubt it's a place of suffering where you're whining, where you're complaining. But you know this, that hope well, it, it gives you something. It, it produces something. Perseverance in that place. And perseverance, it gives you godly character. And godly character, hope. Hope. Because God's love has been poured out into your life. God provides that. His living water is all of that. I don't know if you caught it, but when I told you about a parenting tactic, I was very specific with the tense that I used. I said I was very proud of the parenting tactic that I used. Not anymore. We're not as proud. It's because this, this, this very familiar story in Israel's history, it, it's affected me as a father. I see that what my heavenly father does is, well, he's present. He doesn't ignore me or pretend he doesn't hear me, but when I complain, when we complain and whine to him, he, he's present. He more than hears us, he understands us, he's, he's patient with us, and he provides for us. So I've tried to be more like that as a father. That's my new parenting tactic. Yeah, this this biblical account of Exodus 17 it had an effect on me as a, as a father, but more so. It had an effect on me as a child. And I know it did for you too. As God's daughter and God's sons, no doubt we're going to travel through this wilderness of life. And as it's been put up on a map, we're going to walk through our Massas and our Meribahs. But there, you know this. You don't need to put the Lord your God to the test. In fact, his word is clear. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. But he is a God from whom you can make requests. Make requests for his living water and see all of the ways that he pours out abundantly into your life his living water, his peace, his hope, his perseverance, his character. And it doesn't put us to shame. Rejoice in that. Amen. 